You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or 7 p.m. We want to be rooted and established in love, like it says in Ephesians 3. We're, we're, we're taking a season to celebrate and explore enoughness. How is Jesus enough? It's kind of the, my main question, and I've been answering it in a few different ways. This week, I'm going to tell you that Jesus is enough, and a way to access that is to remember that the future is much stranger than you think. However you think tomorrow's going to go, however stuck you feel in this moment, in the middle of that storm that you've been in for so long, it's different. Tomorrow is different. There's going to be a stranger conclusion to your expectation. It's going to be probably better, but definitely different than how you're sure it's going to go. It will not be exactly how you planned. Of that we can be sure, and I think that's good news. It's good news that your vision of the future is not that powerful. And sometimes that can be scary, because sometimes we want things to go the way we really want them to go. We would like the world to go exactly as we had planned, and all of us know in one way or another that that's not true. Sometimes that's really difficult, but I'm telling you today that it's good news because a lot of the times our vision for the future is stuck in the storm and I want to get us beyond that. So I got to start. Also, I've been talking about Matthew this whole time. Those of you that take, a, take, take notes on like what passage I've been using, it's all Matthew. I don't know, that might be interesting to you if you want to read Matthew with me. Uh, we've got a, uh, another week or so doing this. A couple places in Matthew I want to be though and this one is in more than one place. You all know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? It's like the most famous story that Jesus told, maybe. The Good Samaritan is something that's, that is, has an idea that is maybe even beyond Jesus. Good People know what Good Samaritan is, even if they've never heard the story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. They might have an idea that's in the Bible, but they're not so sure. But they know what a Good Samaritan is. You all know what a Good Samaritan is, right? Someone who helps in an unexpected way. Uh, real quick, I don't have time to tell this story because I'm telling a couple other ones, but just for those that need to remember, it's a story that Jesus told. He's walking down a dangerous road, lonely road, this, and this guy gets jumped. And they take all his money, and they beat him up, and he gets left on the side of the road. And then all these holy people walk by, all these religious people that should be expected to help him out. They can't be bothered because they're in a hurry doing whatever they got to do. And then the Samaritan comes and helps him in an unexpected way. Samaritans are like the, the bad guys of the Jewish. It doesn't really matter all the cultural stuff. You can look, look into it later. But they're essentially people that shouldn't be counted on to help me if I were a Jew. And he helps him in an extravagant way. Binds his wounds, takes him to a hotel, pays for his stay, plans to come back and check on him. Really just takes care of this person in this super generous way. So it's an unexpected story is, the, is, the, is what the Samaritan is about. That's one example of where Jesus is saying, hey, <laughs> the future is different than you expect. It's going to be the Samaritan that saves you. Um, that's, if you didn't know, 
that's like one of Jesus's themes. It's always an unexpected thing. His whole project is unexpected. He keeps redoing people's expectations. I had a story like that, a lot like that, actually. I was driving through Texas when I was 14, all right? And my brother was 19, I think. He's a freshman in college, and we went on a road trip across the whole country, up through Montana all the way to like Las Vegas where my grandparents lived south of there. And then we came back on Route 10, or I guess it's Interstate 10, down down through Texas. Anybody know the, the 10 highway? Goes right along the Rio Grande for a second and then cuts over towards Antonio. I gave you a map because I love maps. Um, and I looked at Google Maps and I think I found the exact place where this event occurred here on Route 10, that overpass looked familiar enough to me that I'm going to say this is where it happened, just east of Sheffield, Texas. My, my, my brother was driving, and I, I, I distinctly remember my grandmother when we left her house in Arizona, where it is god-awfully hot, and we were about to drive through the desert. We were trying to get to San Antonio in one day from Las Vegas. It's a long drive. And... She said, take water. You got to take water. Do you have enough water? And we're like, yeah, we have like this. And she's like, no, that's not enough. You have to stop and buy more gallons of water because you're in the desert and you could die. Okay. And so, you know, seven hours later, we're in the desert. And actually, I recall my brother, Joel, came on this trip too. We're twins. We were wrestling furiously in the back seat, uh, probably about something really stupid. And all of a sudden, boom, spin around into that median in the sand because we had a blowout at like 80 miles per hour. And the car spins around. Luckily, I didn't have my seatbelt on, but my legs were kind of pinned against the, uh, the back seat or something so that I was, I was I, we, did, we didn't, it might've been even like where my weight was distributed that we didn't flip the car. It was good. We also had a bunch of cargo in the back because this is a long road trip, so that was good. It was a, it was a Camry station wagon, so the back was totally full. And now we're here in the middle of the desert. It's been seven hours, so of course I drank all the water. There's no more water. Um, and uh, we have to like take all our stuff out of this Camry station wagon to get it out to get to the, the spare tire underneath. So we're like chucking all this stuff. And as a matter of fact, my brother Jacob, as a joke, took all 40 of his t-shirts on this trip just to razz his girlfriend at the time. And so we had tons of stuff that were thrown out of, the, of there to to get at the, the uh, spare tire. And, you know, you'd think it's, it's kind of the opposite of the Samaritan story because in, when you're in the middle of the desert and someone drives by and you are stranded, they're like, just like my grandmother, hey, these people could die. <laughs> so everyone stopped. There weren't that many. It's a lonely stretch of highway. But everyone that drove by stopped. So on that overpass, which is key, there were these Mexican construction workers that drove by and they, they stopped on that, that overpass to yell at us, hey, do you need any water? And, and we're like, yeah, we do. And we like, and we, my brother and I remember, we, the reason I think that this is exactly where it happened is because I ran across the jug handle um, that like a couple hundred yards to like go and meet them and get water from their truck. So I, I remember that. Also, Texas has like hospitality police officers. They're not, it says hospitality on it. It's not like I'm going to give you a ticket. That's not their job. Their job is to save people from dying in the desert. <laughs> so 
after one person, the first car had stopped, then a hospitality cruiser stops and, and radios back to Sheffield, or it might have been some other town. Hey, come in and... Oh, yeah, I'm 14 years old. There's no cell phones. We don't have any cell phones. And it's the middle of the desert, and you might, not, you might still not get a, a signal there right now. Um, so Unless you have like a satellite phone. Anyway, so calls back to the town, get us a tow truck, because in fact we are in the dirt and we can't, it, the, the wheel is just spinning. We can't get any leverage. We don't have like a board to stick under the, the tire to, uh, to be able to get the lug nuts off and put our spare on. So we're really stranded. Um, and so it was great. We, got, we, get, we have all these Samaritans. Samaritans, you know, just coming out the, the wazoo, you know, this is great. And then quicker than we thought, the guy comes from a guy comes in a truck to, to help us and he has a board in his pickup truck, shoves it under there. He shows up and says like, hey, what can I do you for? And we're like, well, we got this problem, you know. Jacob's 19, you know, most a lot of you are older than 19, but you remember what it's like to be like, not know what you're doing, you know, and have these children, 14 year olds that you're in charge of that your parents let you take across the country. He's 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 a little, you know, out of sorts. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, the guy, the guy fixed, the, all we needed was a board. We're like, oh, that's all we needed. We just needed a board, you know? And we lickety split, we got it all fixed up. And Jacob says, well, how much do I owe you? And he's like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it's okay. And so we pack all our stuff back in. We pack the, the tire back in, all of Jacob's 40 t-shirts back in. And, and we, we, we start to roll out. And then a tow truck comes up. Because the tow truck, that he was not sent from Sheffield. He was just another good Samaritan that was that was saving us from dying in the desert. And the, the, the probably the sinful part of the story is we peeled out away from the tow truck because we didn't want to pay for the for the service call. Hey, thanks anyway. We're out of here off to San Antonio. You know, the, the future is stranger than you think. You know, it was all, all kinds of beautiful things happened in that story. Um, but we didn't even really realize till the end how beautiful it really was. There's a story like that in uh, Matthew 17 where Jesus comes to his home territory in Capernaum and it, immediately when they're, when they're coming into town, he's like, ah, let's get this guy to pay the temple tax. It's a two drachma tax, little pieces of silver or gold or something like that that you had to pay to support the temple. It was not a Roman tax. It was a Jewish imposed tax. Y'all know that the Romans were like ruling over Jesus's territory at the time when he was walking around on the earth and uh but there was also this other infrastructure this other system of rule from the temple and they were seeing how patriotic is jesus is he going to pay for this temple tax and peter who is a very orderly person and very quick to speak for himself and for his master says of course he does of course jesus pays the temple tax Jesus isn't there, though, so Peter goes back in, and Jesus is like, I know what you did. He told him I was going to pay the temple tax. And Jesus is like, hey, in a kingdom, does the king charge his own sons for taxes? Like, is that is that something that's done, or are the sons free, you know? And Peter's like, oh, I guess the sons are free. And he's like, yeah, I'm the king's son. I don't have to pay. But just so we don't offend them, go out and catch a fish, and you'll find a four drachma coin in there to pay for your temple tax and for mine. Easy peasy. Yep. He finds a gold, he finds a coin in a fish and that's how he pays the temple tax. The future 
is much stranger than you think. Peter thinks, okay, we're just going to have to get some money together. We're going to have to appease these people because we've got to you know, take care of business. And Jesus says, well, you know, I actually don't have to pay that, but I will. And the way that I'm going to do it is I'm going to have you get a coin out of the fish's mouth. How about that? I love it. It's, it's, it's much stranger than we think. Do you have stories about that like that in your life where you found a gold coin in a fish's mouth? Ever, ever found a gold coin in a fish's mouth? Maybe not literally, but like something amazing happened that you never would have expected. I think, I think you probably have experiences like that. I've got a couple that I want to share with you. Hopefully some of yours are coming to mind. Uh, how about when I moved to South Jersey to be a pastor? I never, ever, ever expected that. Uh, I was a pastor over in Philly, 215th forever. I was very Philly. Gwyneth was born and raised actually very near to the playground on which Will Smith spent most of his days. I, was, I told that same line to Beverly yesterday. Uh, but, she, you know, she was, she was born and bred there. I really, like, adopted Philadelphia. I moved there when I was 12, and it, I'm, I'm rabidly Philadelphian. And I'm so glad that South Jersey is all the way for the Eagles and the, Philad- and the Phillies, because then I can um, still feel like I'm in. But we moved right across the Walt Women Bridge, and it was actually just so unexpected. I, I really had no idea this was going to happen. In fact, I have a very vivid memory of when we were getting married, we went to David's bridal to find shoes for Gwyneth's wedding dress. You remember this, Gwyneth? Maybe it didn't happen. Uh, no, it happened. And we got so lost, and I got so frustrated that I, I banged on the, the dashboard of our new car. And I, and I, wait, no, yeah, it was the new car. It was, before, it was after we got married. Okay, so it was another time. Maybe it was for like, it wasn't for our wedding because it was definitely the 2004 Prius that we bought after we got married. And I, so we were lost doing something and I banged on the dashboard and totally broke the glove compartment. I was so frustrated with getting anywhere in South Jersey. I was just, ah. And so some of my frustration kind of became a bit of uh, like, I'm not going there, you know. No, Cherry Hill Mall, never. All right? But the land of my, of my insult, because actually that's, like a, that's a, a very important part of, of who I am is that I'm a really good navigator. I really like to know where I'm going, and I think that I have a good sense of direction. Uh, I don't want to use the GPS. I just want to figure it out. It should be easy to get there. It's right there. No, you can't do it. And so this, this insult, this land of my insult, became my home. And it was totally unexpected when I became the pastor here that that's what God would want me to do. Another one. Uh, we, uh, we started a cell. One of the first things I did when we, when, we, when, we moved, when we moved here to be pastor, that's Theo as a tiny little person. And Pat was my apprentice, and he said, sure, I'll start a cell with you, but only if we do stuff. You know, cells are these, these circles of 10 that we have that meet in people's homes. They're about spiritual formation and about showing people the gospel in real life, what it's like to, to love one another. But Pat's like, but we also have to love other people too. So we had this big idea that he got us connected to to collect a bunch of backpacks for this event. 
in uh, Whitman Park in Camden got connected to this other organization. And here's where the strangeness starts to happen. That's the crew that I was connected to, but I got connected to this whole different crew in a very strange way. Here's, here's another crew of people. This, this was my teen cell, just a few of them, and I started this, this cell with teenagers in Woodland because I was hanging out with these people that Pat got me connected to, meeting in a water tower in Camden. That was weird enough already. We had, a, we had like a meeting in the bottom floor of a water tower. And uh, I met this, this woman named Victoria Clark who was connected to this other organization called Kids Alley. And she had these teenagers that were kind of aging out of her kids evangelism program. And she said, they need something. You got anything for them? And I was like, well, I got cells. You know, that's, that's all I do for discipleship. I got, I got, I got, I got a cell. You want to come check it out? And she's like, I don't know. So she said, why don't you come talk to them? So I went to their meeting and I pitched what a cell was to like 50 kids between the ages of 13 and 18. And I said, and I just described what it was and 32 of them gave me their contact information. That sounds awesome. Sign me up. And I got connected to some of these folks. The, the ringleader, I would say, was Mashley. She was my apprentice. And uh, a lot of them are still connected to our church now. A lot of them are in Ryan and my cell and Justin's cell now. And they're 20 now. It's been, it's been a few years. Totally unexpected. I went to like give backpacks away uh, in a water tower. And I found out how I would get connected and be hanging out with these kids that I'm totally different from. And they teach me all kinds of fun stuff. And I'm learning all kinds of things uh, that I never would have known. And it's really strange that we're like really good friends. So strange. Um, one more, uh, one more. These are these are stories where we're finding gold coins in fish's mouths. I had friends that struggled for a long, long time with infertility. They couldn't they couldn't get pregnant at all, and they were they were. It was years and years, like a decade of struggle. And and some of you in this room know what that's like. And. Finally, they decided, uh, with the help of, uh, of their fertility doctor, that they would adopt a, an embryo. This is strange enough already. People, people make embryos uh, through in vitro fertilization, and sometimes there are babies on ice that don't have a, a womb, and they're there. And the fertility clinic um, uh, offered that they could adopt. It was like an adoption. It was an adoption of this embryo. And my friend carried that baby in her womb and had a beautiful baby boy. And they were, they were so happy. Um, fast forward a few years later, and she accidentally got pregnant and had another baby. It was like this like multiplication of joy, this kind of totally unexpected baby boy that comes. The future is much stranger than we think. Let's go back to to Matthew 17 there. Walk through it a little bit more to see what's going on. Jesus comes into Capernaum, like I said, and these guys come up to him and they say, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Probably trying to get him, find out how, where his allegiances lie. And Peter, who is quick to respond, like I said, says, of course he does. Earlier in, in Matthew 17, Peter 
is uh, at the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you know that story where Jesus kind of lifts the veil of his humanity and, and, and more of his godness is shining through like he's all white, uh, white robes and brilliant light shining out. Um, it's this incredible moment where like the future is being seen by these select group of disciples. And there are a couple of people from the past even that are there, Elijah and Moses, these important people in Jewish history. It's like time is, you know, getting messed up. There's, there's, it's this incredible moment. And Peter recognizes this, of course. You would recognize it too if you were there. But Peter says, hey, this is really good. Let's get this thing in order, you know? Let's make a tent for you and a tent for you and a tent for you so this can go on forever. I want to contain this moment and make it good. This is kind of who Peter is. He's real excitable, but also uh, real orderly. He has like an administrative function. That's probably why Jesus chose him to be his right-hand man, because he has this gift to, to build things. He builds a church, which is more than just uh, a bunch of people. It has some organization to it. If you read the letters that Peter wrote to his disciples, they have this kind of very matter-of-fact uh, orderliness to them more so than some of the other letters in the New Testament. So Peter is, is a man of order. And he says, well, of course he pays the temple tax. He didn't even think about it. And so when he comes into the house, Jesus asks him, what do you think, Simon? He asked, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? And Peter answers the obvious, from others. Then Jesus said the then the children are exempt. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. <laughs> That's just too weird. Don't, don't, just because it's in the Bible, don't let it be as like normal, okay? Maybe you've heard this story since you were in Sunday school or something, and you think, ah, yeah. No, no, it's a coin in a fish's mouth. It's ridiculous. It's so funny and fun and better. Like, you know, Jesus is kind of in this, you know, he's in the middle of a whole mess. All these powers are pressing down on him. Not even just the Romans, but his own people trying to catch him. How's he going to get out of it? I would have never thought. I would have never thought that he's going to get a coin out of a fish's mouth. That is totally un unexpected. Um, so, when you feel like finishing the story, when you're when you're in the middle of something, and uh, it seems like there's no way out, you know, I'm just gonna throw up my hands. I think I think most of you have this experience at least once a week, where it's it's it, we're ready to throw in the towel. Things are never going to change. You know, when a powerful man faces suspicion and other powerful men sign him up to be among the wisest people in the government, again, it's not over yet. This is not the end of the story. When you get in the same fight with your spouse, again, and you react the exact same way you did last time when this thing came up, it's not over yet. When your child refuses to do the reasonable thing that you ask them to do, 
just for power, it's not over yet. They will grow up. I was actually talking to a friend at Kendra's art show over in Philly on Friday night. He was telling me about his 14-year-old, and he has a 17-year-old. And he remembered that his older child at 14 kind of went off the rails and started to test everything and figure out how much can I get away with. And, and now she's 17, and she's a lot, she's like nice to be around, you know. He likes hanging out with her. But then he has another 14-year-old coming up behind her. And uh, again, he's ready to, you know, quit fatherhood, you know. But, but he, he's remembering, oh, it gets better. This doesn't last forever. It's not over yet. When you succumb to the same temptation that you succumbed to last week, when you thought you were over this, this thing that maybe you hadn't even been tempted by for years, and then you're back at it again. And you're, you're, you're tempted to believe that you will never change. It's not over yet. You're not over yet. When the, when the bills keep stacking up and there doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel, in fact, this is not a tunnel. It is a pit. There is no other side. When it feels like that, it's not over yet. The future that God has for you is so much different than what we expect. It's much weirder, much stranger. Yeah, the, the, the future is much stranger than you think. We need more wonder in those moments of despair. Hope is one thing we need, yes. You could say, you could remind yourself of God's promises when you're feeling like everything is coming down on you and how am I going to get out of this? Hope is a good thing. That's why we call ourselves Circle of Hope. But I have another idea too. We need wonder. We need curiosity. How in the world is this going to work out? When you're at the bottom of the pit underneath the bills, how is this going to work? I really don't know. You really don't know. Like, you might have an idea about what you need to do, and you should probably do that. But I betcha, I betcha there's a way through that you didn't expect. Something's going to happen. And this is just the nature of your capacity. You don't know what's going to happen. And God has the opportunity to do much more wonderful things. And let's get that word wonderful back to its um, full meaning, where it's not just good. It's like wonder full of wonder, full of curiosity, full of, hmm, what's, what good can come out of this? I don't know. I don't really know what's going to happen. I don't know how strangely this particular story will resolve. So when you're in the dumps or whatever else is oppressing you, when you're just feeling so heavy in your shoulders about what is going to happen about the way that your life is going or about the way that the world is going. We can be certain about a lot. But we don't know what God will do. Embroider that on a pillow. We don't know what God will do. And that is really good news. We don't know exactly how this is going to come. I take great comfort in that. 
it might sound uh, a little too open for some of you. Like, well, I want to, but I really want to know. I want to know what God will do. But this is good news because I don't think we can imagine what God will do. In the scripture that Casey read us earlier, it's immeasurably more. That's what God's going to do, is immeasurably more. We can't fathom it. We can't, we can't put a line to it. We can't even put our minds to it. It's bigger and deeper than we could ever ask or imagine. And here's the other side of it. When we are certain of what God will do, when we don't have any wonder about what's going to happen, when we think we're, we, I am certain that this is what God will do, we might need to reconsider and say, ooh, maybe I'm not talking about God. Maybe I'm talking about something that's not God. Because there's, there are many things that try to be certain. There are many things that try to keep us in lockstep going towards the future that is designed for us, that is prescribed for us, that is optimal according to someone else's standard. When you're, when you're stuck thinking, this is what has to happen. This is the only thing that will happen. I don't know if you're talking about God. Because God is immeasurably more and ready to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We do not know what God will do. And that's my good news for you today. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.